Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Joan Ritzy. This February, Joan retired as head of Memorial University Center for Newfoundland Studies. Joan worked with Memorial University Libraries for 38 years, and throughout her career, she shared her extensive knowledge of all things Newfoundland and Labrador, working to collect and preserve the print culture of our province, making it widely accessible through digitization initiatives and research tools. The periodical article bibliography was developed under her leadership and is an essential tool for finding articles about all aspects of life in Newfoundland and Labrador. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And we'll start off by saying a congratulations on on 38 years Thank you. of work. It's daunting to have left work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I suspect you'll be as busy as ever, though, in, in some ways. I know I know you've always been an active volunteer in the heritage community here, so yeah, I, that's, I don't that's imagine right. that's going to stop. Yeah, should be interesting. I like to do those symposia, you know, sort of yes. short conferences. Yeah. Quite interesting. So I wanted to start off today talking maybe a little bit uh, about the history of the Center for Newfoundland Studies. Uh, what is it and how did it how did it get started? Well, it is a library. So it's a branch of the Memorial University Libraries. And um, the mandate is to collect all published material related to Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's anything published here or published by Newfoundlanders or Labradorians or anything published anywhere in the world about us. So it, uh, Agnes O'Day, who was a, li- a Newfoundlander and a librarian who went to library school about 1955, uh, came back to Memorial and got a job here in the library. And she started to, they had that idea to create, create a Newfoundland collection. So uh, she worked hard, uh, particularly up to about 1962, gathering material for a Center for Newfoundland Studies. She. Um, even, uh, you know, got photocopies of things and microfilm of material from France and Portugal and certainly England. That was a main source. And from Canada, she purchased where she could, otherwise she got copies. And then the center opened officially in 1964 uh, in the uh, old Henrietta Harvey building. So it was quite something. It really is amazing that the administration of the day understood that uh, we are almost like a nation, so we mm-hmm. it's almost like our uh, national library. Right, yeah. And to start collecting it earlier rather than later. Um, certainly at Memorial at that time, there was such an interest in uh, knowing that the old Newfoundland was going to change with Confederation. And so you had those big projects, the Dictionary of Newfoundland English, the Maritime History Archive, the Folklore Archive, these sorts of collections that knew to collect our language, our stories, and the documents. And the Center for Newfoundland Studies was part of that. Also, Jeff Webb has done an interesting book, you know, uh, about um, observing the outports is yes, the title. Yeah. And uh, it is looking at the history of that period of how we came to realize that, uh, that our history was actually um, worthy of study. I think that was the big change. It wasn't just that we liked it, but that it be, could make comparisons to, for example, um, uh, folk stories in Appalachia mm-hmm. and songs from England. And uh, the whole history, we were part of a big movement. Yeah, it really was kind of quite progressive in a way. You know, that, yeah. that there was this, as you said, kind of this forward thinking 
uh, view towards towards studying local culture. And, and you mentioned like the the establishment of, of the CNS, and then I guess CNS uh, predated the Folklore Archive by yes. by a little bit. The Folklore yes. Archive started in around '67 or something like right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all part of the same movement. Yeah. And with the Center for Newfoundland Studies, we also realized uh, we wanted to make a contribution to the scholarship. And so uh, Agnes O'Day and Anne Alexander um, set out to make a list of every book pertaining to Newfoundland. So it was published in 1986, and it covered from the beginning, oh, only up to 1975, and it was about 5,000 books. Right. If we were to look from 1975 to now, it is about 70,000 books. Wow. So we're not doing another edition <laughs> uh, in paper, but of yeah. course we have our catalog online. And the other project was this uh, periodical index to uh, index the periodical literature of Newfoundland. So that is cover-to-cover -cover indexing of the Newfoundland Quarterly and the, the old magazines, Newfoundland uh, Stories and Ballads, um, the old Newfoundland Herald, um, Newfoundland Studies, which was an academic journal, uh, to index these cover-to-cover, -cover, and then also to seek out in the whole world articles written about us and bring out the Newfoundland content because say something like Maclean's has always been indexed in the Canadian periodical index but the in-depth Newfoundland content wasn't brought out so our index is a bit different from other standardized indexes because mm -hmm. we're looking for names and places and Newfoundland uh, history and concepts. Yeah and I, I even remember when I was a when I was a student you know two and a half decades ago now that 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 was a really important uh, resource for me when I was doing because I was doing Labrador-based research yeah. and and so having a, an index of articles was incredibly uh, yeah. incredibly useful. It is amazing. Yeah. We do, we use it for so many questions. You yeah, because it's just everything it includes book reviews too, and then a, a lot of we have now. We just passed the hundred thousandth article that's in the, that periodical index. Uh, but only about 5,000 of those are linked directly to the online version. Right. That's probably because of copyright issues. We can't just digitize everything. But I would say if anybody finds an article on the PAB, on that index, which is available through the Center for Newfoundland Studies webpage, uh, they can just email us or uh, contact us in any way uh, or through social media and just ask for the article and we will scan it, that one item, and send it out. Okay. So you can get it that way. So That's you don't even have to come in yeah. to the library. Yeah. And and do you see, uh, is it still a valuable tool for students today? Do you, do you see a lot of academic research using yes, it? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's everything, you know, because <laughs> with Newfoundland studies as a sort of interdisciplinary field, it's really under-referenced, we say, whereas the whole world of particularly English uh, literature and science and everything ha ha is connected with all these big abstracting services, indexing services, citation indexes. Newfoundland doesn't have those. We've, we've had to create them. So as we find a course, if, say, somebody's researching the history of Jig's Dinner, um, there may not be a scholarly article on that. So an article in the Telegram or the, yep. the Herald yep. becomes your, your only source. So uh, yes, it, it is still very useful. Very good to find the scholarly articles, but then of course your answer may be anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know coming from folklore as a discipline, I, those are the sources for us quite often. I mean, yeah. we, the the academic sources are great, but the the stuff that was written by the people or for the people yeah. is it's a fascinating resource. Yes, and 
and I, and I know both in my academic writing and my own personal writing, you know, I have found so so many treasures through that through that bibliography. Yeah, yeah it is yeah. amazing. We'd. Uh, it used to be safe. We've always heard of Tibbs Eve, but yeah. it was it was it written down anywhere? And uh, through through this index now, by indexing everything, we can find uh, articles that uh, discuss the practice. So right. they they were never findable before. Yeah, yeah. The other thing linked to this indexing too is the digitization, which right. is great because we can pick up. Uh, you know, particularly phrases and topics through keywords. When when did that digitization kind of start to kick in? It was 2006. Okay. So first, say starting in 2004, we used to get things indexed through a um, an initiative of the Canadian government and Industry Canada um, operation called Roots, Our Roots, actually. And we did send many books to Ottawa, trunk loads of our books to be digitized in Ottawa. And that was pretty good, and they are still there. But then in 2006, the uh, university library uh, admin realized we needed to get a server and start digitizing our own material. And so that just grew, and of course, uh, cultural uh, agencies have put material on it as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have been gone through the Center for Newfoundland Studies collection, first of all, picking out the important materials that we feel have enduring research value. So we started with those old constitutional histories, you know, Anspach and Reeves and Pedley, and, uh, certainly Prowse, uh, got those digitized. Then we moved on to uh, full runs of journals like the Newfoundland Quarterly, like quarterly as yeah. all the yeah. Observers Weekly. You know, there's so many uh, titles of journals. And now we're still going. Uh, if anything is out of copyright, and if anybody wants it digitized, again, just ask us, and we will put it in what we call an on-demand service, and we'll digitize it within a few days. Mm. Uh, if it is under copyright, that could be a problem. We might have to try to get permission, or maybe we can never get permission. But right. uh, yeah, so we can, we can put anything up there. We have lots of space, <clears throat> and uh, that is very handy. We also, too, got some money uh, through the uh, World War I commemorations. A big load of money to digitize the three newspapers that were in existence in Newfoundland during World War One. So that's the Daily Star, the Evening Telegram, and the Daily News. And those are all online on, again, through our website, the Digital Archive. And um, that is a wonderful, you know, you see the war as it happened, you see the announcements as they come out each day. So uh, it's contemporary primary source, just right. great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I find those newspapers to be an incredible resource too. I'm always finding little, uh, great little bits because it, I, I remember the days when you had to sit down in front of a microfiche for yes. hours and hours and yes. hours, weeks, <laughs> trying know. to find the one thing you wanted, and now yeah. you can go on to yeah. the digital archive. The, and those micro readers, you know, and of course they're still useful, but we had uh, library researchers who'd be there all day and they would be um, sick, get sick headaches. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was like a, that bit of machinery was very hard <laughs> physically on yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in terms of um, some of that periodical material, what, what is copyright? Like up, up to what point can you, can you digitize? Well, sometimes with the journals, it is difficult because they can have a corporate uh, ownership that goes longer uh, than, say, like the Daily News uh, died in, I don't know, what was it? in the 90s, I think, or up to 2000, something like that. So we can't just call it dead because it does have a corporate ownership. 
Anyway, which I think is correct, is the Royal Bank of Canada owned it by the end, and they have allowed us to digitize it. Mm -hmm. So we are okay with the daily news. But uh, each case has to be looked at. You know, usually we say it's the for the length of the author's life plus 50 years. But there are funny exceptions to that. For example, um, photographs that were published uh, up to 1990, up to 1948, we can now say are free and clear of copyright, even if the uh, agency that owned them is still continuing. Hmm. But but even that, of course, can be argued. You could get a company that objects. Uh, what about things like like newspapers, for example, like the the Evening Telegram? You've you've digitized that up to a certain yes. Point. We've, with that, we've gone up to 1926. It does have it. It died in its old form with the old owners, and of course, changed its name from Evening Telegram to Telegram. So we feel uh, we're safe up to 1926. After that, uh, we're not too sure, we don't want to push it, that the new owners may feel they own the old version. Right. I know with something like the Montreal Gazette, uh, it still wants to own its old uh, file of newspapers. Yeah. And uh, and it is selling access to the old newspapers. So we can't really jump in and uh, yeah. disrupt somebody's chance to make money on a file they own. Sure. Yeah. So uh, how extensive is the Center for Newfoundland Studies collection now? How much physical stuff right. do you have? Yeah, we have two uh, lovely uh, stack areas. They go up 14 feet. And it is interesting when you think of the whole of Newfoundland and the Labrador studies is only about 114,000 volumes. So it's quite finite mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, needs to be protected. Um, certainly there's been an explosion in publishing but uh, and sometimes you know it's 40 novels a year it's just fantastic but it uh, it's not a great amount certainly you know there's series of things that have hundreds of volumes of the um, government uh, journals of the house of assembly and things like that but um, as for titles we think about about 100 or 115,000 titles yeah yeah and so you are primarily uh, interested in uh, print material, but you also have a photographic collection? Uh, well, no, not separate. We, again, it's really what's been published. Okay. So it's photos in publications. Oh, in we publications, can help you yes. find. Right. Separate from uh, the archives uh, that are around, of yep. course, there is one at the University Library, the Archives and Special Collections Division. They have uh, lots of series of photos from um, the Daily News and from um, the uh, extension service on campus and things like that and from private donors so they have a lot of original photos mm-hmm. in the CNS we have photos that have been published in uh, journals newspapers books right yeah yeah H- how have you seen research change since your your early days at the yeah university? That, that's interesting um, I know we always uh, come to realize that students uh, what they're really doing when they go to university is read that's why, you know, you can hear when somebody goes to Oxford, they say, I'm reading medicine or something. And it really means your university education is reading. So certainly that hasn't changed. People still read. But I think there's been a change that often now people, if they get an electronic book or article, they're just going to read this section that has the keywords they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, 30 years ago, people were more inclined to read the whole arc of a book. Uh, read the author's full thesis and, you know, get the beginning, middle, and end. So I think there's been a certain loss there of reading the whole thing. If a student were to read the whole thing, 
he or she would probably get a lot of valuable information. Um, I can see too that uh, topics uh, have morphed. Uh, first it was a constitutional histories and uh, analysis of people, personalities, uh, politicians, important people, important events. There's been a real change now to see things through things through other people's eyes to take it more on a personal level, women's history, Aboriginal history, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see in folklore, for example, um, yeah, there was a recent thesis just done on hitchhiking from the point of view of it being suspicious times and, and murderous times and the change in uh, being on the road, whereas a hitchhiking uh, thesis a few years ago would have been more uh, myths heard on the road and, and activities, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So because the world has changed, people are looking at things differently. We see a, a, more, a lot more dis interdisciplinary work, uh, say even in engineering, which puts out a lot of master's and PhD theses. Um, they're combining it with economics and business and other angles. And of course, there's Pam Hall's uh, fabulous uh, thesis she did, uh, the artist Pamela Hall. Uh, did an interdisciplinary uh, PhD, where which she called uh, "Towards an Encyclopedia of Traditional Knowledge," and each page is a panel, an artistic piece of art. Uh, say, for example, example, how did people jig, jig cod or how did people knit mittens? And it's all done graphically with images. Yeah, so it's impressive. It's book. impressive. Yeah. And of course, very different because then it's bringing in not just her own art and how she portrays it, but um, certainly the you know, material culture, uh, oral history is in it, uh, history from books. Um, it, it, so it, it, that's a whole new way of thinking. That's how things have changed. Mm. But uh, I would say, it, it, on the other hand, people still have to read. Almost all our knowledge comes from what we read, you know. Are, are you seeing more materials now being created in a purely digital format? Uh, I'm thinking there must be a lot of writing that happens outside yes. of that kind of traditional book publishing industry. Now. Yeah, for sure. Yes, as we say, born digital. Yeah. <laughs> Just born that way. Um, Certainly the publishing, book publishing industry isn't dead, and there is a, a lot of people, uh, you know, will read books on, on some sort of device, you yeah. know, from Amazon or somewhere. Also, there's an awful lot of books from the great publishing houses, Oxford University Press and stuff, stuff like that, uh, that uh, offer their books online, and they're accessible through the university catalog online. They're great, of course, you can do keyword searching, you can download parts, you could just read it. And of course, uh, people are publishing a lot themselves uh, uh, through book publishers or through their own blogs and their own websites. Mm -hmm. All important, important stuff. Yeah, maybe not peer reviewed, but yeah. really valuable. And does yeah. that present a challenge then to, to people who are charged with preserving this material? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you hit that. It is. Uh, you know, in the old days where you just wrote a letter and asked someone to send you their book. Yeah. It's quite different now. <laughs> and that's right, we have to, we are searching websites. To find out what we need to buy, of course, we go to, we look at traditional public, publishing houses. 
we also go through bibliographies of theses and see what people have been using for their research, and that's a big job. Yeah. We also go through newspapers and magazines looking for what's been published and find it out then. Certainly the, the newspaper has uh, mentions a lot of people who are self-publishing books of all types, poetry, community histories, family histories. We go through all that. And then as well, we collect websites. So on our um, Center for Newfoundland Studies website, there's a, a subject guide to uh, documents that are on the web mm-hmm. that uh, are perhaps more casually put up, you know, rather than actual books. They may just be pages, screens of information. Yeah. But still, yeah, certainly important. That's why it's important too when you're doing research to come talk to us, you know, uh, write in a note or or phone or come in and uh, tell the people who work there what you're looking for because uh, there can be areas you mightn't have thought of that'll have your answer. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that's why we still need in this day, we still need the human person, you know, because I think uh, sometimes I think young researchers might just think, oh, if it's not online, it doesn't exist. That's right. Yeah, that would be a shame. Yeah. yeah, we're entering a bit of a dark age that way, I think, where a lot of material in paper will sit on the shelf and not be looked at for maybe 50 years or something till it's rediscovered. And if you want to really excel as a student, maybe, uh, just dig into that stuff because uh, it will make you stand out. Right. Uh, you know, it's going to be it's very good, good. Practical advice for yeah, students there. Yeah, yeah. I would say, uh, you know, and what is nice about a physical book is you can lay it out on a big table, lay all the pieces, maybe 10, 12 books, open them to the pages you need. It makes a kind of map for your research, for your mind to travel with the quotes you want to have in the orders you want them in. Uh, rather than if you're just having screens lined up one on top of the other, you can almost not know which book you were in at any one time. So yeah, it's there, there's lots of ways to still be using it, but it is it is a new era, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And do you uh, do you see a change then in in who is using the services uh, at the Center for Newfoundland Studies? Is it still a lot of local students or are you getting a more international uh, audience Yes, now? Reyes, to start with the international, we certainly have um, people uh, writing to us and visiting us, particularly in the summer. Uh, We get a lot of uh, visiting scholars, as we call them. And um, from all around the world, there are schools of and departments of Canadian studies in European universities, in Japanese universities, Russian universities. They certainly find us and uh, need our help. Most of those are scholars, but sometimes there's people writing a book of fiction. We get, you know, uh, Ken Follett asking us for things, you know, um, all kinds of people who, who just maybe want a tidbit of information. Mm-hmm. The other type is those who need a, a wide uh, range of research advice, maybe a 10-year plan to do their research. Mm-hmm. And we do help with that. And then, uh, of course, from all across Canada, people ask for help. And... Um, the students and the faculty, uh, people designing courses or people doing research, and then of course the whole community of Newfoundland and Labrador, we, uh, are, they are very welcomed. I hope they don't think the library or the Center for Newfoundland Studies is some sort of exclusive place. It isn't. We've just put a big banner outside our door saying, come in. <laughs> and um, so do contact us. Uh, we get kids working on heritage fairs, oh, you yes, know. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, lots of fun. There's all kinds of groups and associations and people looking maybe to write the community history or an organization's history. Uh, if, if they want help on family research, uh, we can help, but again, it's published sources, so it's not so much parish records and that sort right. of things. Yeah. Uh, we can help with background on a community, perhaps set the stage if somebody's doing research. Because it often is you can't just dive into the family. You need to know the time and the place and who were the people who were coming to a certain community. You get a sense of uh, which nationalities would be there, and that tells you the towns they came from, and, and you can build up a picture that way. Mm. So what what would you what do you think the future is for the Center for Newfoundland Studies now that you now that you, you've retired where where do you think it will go in, in the future fifty what is it's it's fifty four years old yeah. now fifty four years from now where do you where do you think it'll be Yeah, I I think uh, our mandate will pretty well stay the same. I think to collect all the published material related to Newfoundland and Labrador. The meaning of published will probably expand. There might be some things we have to cut out because it's just too common, too many. For examples, we really can't uh, collect every video that turns up online that has a Newfoundland uh, angle. Yeah. So we, you know, we collect the important films and we collect certain notable things, but uh, there's just so many tens of thousands of items. So perhaps, you know, what we collect will change a bit. Um, I think perhaps more and more we'll get digitized so people won't have to physically come in and see us. I think we'll keep our initiatives going, these sort of digitization projects, indexing, in-depth indexing of perhaps uh, things that won't get coverage other ways. And um, it's, you know, I think we may have to put more material in storage, off-site storage. Right now, if somebody wants something, we can lay our hands on it right away. When you become larger, you might have to say to people, uh, we'll bring the book in for you tomorrow. Right. So there might be yeah. a bit of a waste like that. But I, I see we can um, still talk to people because the staff at the Center for Newfoundland Studies looks at everything as it arrives, understands what's there. There's nothing like talking to a person who's actually examined the item. So I think that will remain. Good. Um, maybe just before we wrap up, what, what's next for you? Now, are you going to put on your slippers and put your feet up? Or are you are you right into your next project? So, well, I've been retired like, what, like eight days now or something. <laughs> and I can feel a certain languor, languor, you know, kind of hitting me. Uh, I guess I was one of those busy people who were like, buy, sell, zip, zip, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> So that is nice just to stop for a minute. But really, no, nothing to report. Uh, you know, just just uh, doing, hanging out for a while. Well, you're, you've been thank you. entitled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.